0: Here, there's something that I need to do, and there's no way to do it without making noise, so I'm just going to do it. So, there you have it. <laughs> Some of you uh, have probably heard of the United States Senator from Nebraska named Ben Sass. Have any of you heard of Ben? No, really, nobody has. Well, he was elected to the Senate in 2014. He's a junior senator from Nebraska at a pretty young age, 42 years old. uh, He became a United States senator. And what's interesting about him, uh, I think he's just in general a pretty interesting guy, but what's, I think, fascinating about him is what he did once he became a senator and the way he viewed the institution of the Senate. I think it's quite unique. When most people get elected, uh, it's been this mountain that they've climbed, and they've reached sort of the pinnacle, and they get to the Senate, and they get sworn in, whatever it is that they do there, and um, they immediately go onto the Senate floor and make their inaugural speech as quickly as they can. They sort of get their policies out there and where they're coming from and all of that, and they want to do that as quickly as they can. Not Senator Sass. Even at a young age, uh, he had a pretty unique perspective on this. There's an old tradition in the Senate that people don't do anymore, that you get sworn in as a senator and you wait a full year before making your first speech. And so he did that. He waited a full year from coming into the Senate before he made his first speech on the floor, and instead of making speeches on the floor, what he did was go around and he interviewed every single one of the 99 other senators and asked them, how does the Senate function? What are some of your goals for our country and for this institution of, of the Senate? And his goal was to try to better understand his colleagues' but also to better grasp the institution of the United States Senate. This is a unique place, he says, and he wanted to understand how it works, how it functions, so that he could better participate in the Senate when he began to make speeches and, of course, as he's voting on laws and all of that. He says that he can be a better senator and better serve the people of the United States by understanding the institution of the Senate than he can be a senator to the best of his ability. Now, I thought that was fascinating that he did that, pretty unique. And of course, if there's value in understanding the institution of the Senate, then certainly there's value in you and I getting a right and a better grasp of this institution, you and I together, what we call the local church. I mean, if there's value in understanding the Senate, something that makes temporal laws that serve us in many ways and don't serve us in other ways, then certainly there's value for you and I in getting a better grasp of what it is that we're doing with the church and in the church and how we function in the church. And so I want to spend the next four weeks doing something that's a little unusual for me, which is preaching topical messages. And these topical messages are going to be on the topic of the church, the local church specifically. And the goal here is for you and I to better understand what this thing is that we come to each week, that we engage in throughout the week, and that we participate in with time in our lives. It's amazing how many people go to church and have gone to church for a long time. They go regularly, they're fairly involved, and they have no basic understanding of what this thing the church is and what the bible teaches regarding its its definition regarding its purpose its goals how it's supposed to function all of that and so that's what we're going to try to do over these next 4 weeks and that will culminate with reformation sunday where we'll talk about the the message of the church the gospel that was in many ways Rediscovered or clarified 500 years ago. So four weeks on this, and I'm going to base this study around four questions, all right? First, we're going to ask, what are we? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to try to define the local church a little bit. It's not a comprehensive definition, but I want to give you an angle from which to understand the church. Second, we're going to talk about what is our purpose. Once we understand what we are, then we need to know what are we going to do? to do what's our goal what's our purpose for being an institution why did christ call and institute the local church the mission of the church third we're going to ask the question what do we do what is life like in the local church how do we function with one another and under leadership and for the gospel to reach the nations the mission and the goal of the church What do we do in the church? And then finally, as I told you, on the 500th anniversary of the Reformation or around that time, the last uh, Sunday in October, we're going to talk about what is our message, the gospel of the church. What are we to be proclaiming? What are we here to tell to the nation? So that's the outline of the next four weeks, a topical series on the church. And you can see the title of the series up there on the screen on the banner over here to my left. Um kingdom outpost. And so this morning we're going to start with the question, what are we? We're going to try to define the local church. Now, I want to start this morning by giving you what I think is the the right answer. I'm going to give it to you and then we're going to go back to scripture and we're going to work and try to build that answer from scripture, all right? So there'll be a bit of flipping around this morning to different passages. But here's what I think the church is. The Church of Jesus Christ is an outpost of the coming kingdom. I'll say that again. The church of Jesus Christ is each local church is an outpost of the coming kingdom. It's a foretaste of the kingdom and it's a foretaste of the kingdom now in our current age. And it's an outpost in the sense that the goal of the church is to bring the realities of the kingdom to life here and now to the culture in which we are living. We're an outpost of the coming kingdom. And so this morning, to understand that question, what are we? To understand ourselves as a kingdom outpost, we're going to see four keys to grasping the nature of the church. All right? Four keys to grasping the nature of the church. And these keys are, I'm going to give each one with a section of scripture. And we're going to sort of walk ourselves through the storyline of scripture starting in the gospels through to the epistles, all right? So four keys to grasping the nature of the church so we can live out the vision, Christ's vision of the church, all right? First one of these, Jesus inaugurated the kingdom, all right? So these are all kingdom-oriented because the series is called Kingdom Outpost, and I think that's a key theme for understanding the church. So when we talk about defining the church, of course, the church didn't begin in the Old Testament. It began at Pentecost, but... We could go all the way back into the Old Testament and build the background to the local church and what God's mission was for the world and try to, try to build all of that up so that you can properly understand this, this thing that Jesus institutes in the New Testament we could talk about how Jesus fulfills the hopes and the promises of the Old Testament, all of that. And we've done some of that together uh, since I've been here. And we'll, of course, continue to do that more and more. But honestly, we don't have time this morning to do all of that. And so I'm not going to go back there. But let's start this morning where we've been the last couple of months. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. We're going to start there. And I want to show you once again that Jesus inaugurated the kingdom in his coming and in his ministry. The kingdom broke into the world through his work, through his ministry. Open up to Mark chapter 1 and verse 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God. And here's what he said. And saying, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. And then here's what you do in response to that proclamation. Repent and believe in the good news. This is a good reminder for us. We talked about this when we started this series or the series on Mark. But this is a good reminder that Jesus proclaims the time is fulfilled. What, what time? What is he talking about there when he says that the time is fulfilled? Well, he's talking about the time of waiting for God to work, the time of expectations, the time of promises and of hope that we find in the Old Testament. All of this story, all of these covenants, all of these promises anticipate and look forward to God working in the world and returning to his people. And so Jesus says that time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Because the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is breaking in right now. These two go hand in hand. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom is at hand. And when you say the kingdom, when he says here the kingdom is at hand, he's not saying it's, it's right outside the door waiting to get in. What he's saying is it is actually arriving in some sense. It's breaking into the present world. God's rule and reign is beginning to advance through my work and through my ministry. The kingdom is here. Now, you know, it's not fully here. I mean, we don't see things completely set right. We struggle with, with sin. Our bodies are, are broken and sick, and result and, and still uh, feeling the effects of the fall and all of that, but the kingdom has broken into the world now. And you could think of this a little bit like you would think of the allied armies landing on the beach at Normandy in June of 1944. The liberation has arrived. Now, it's not complete yet. It's, it's not total, but it's begun, and it's advancing. And that's what Christ's ministry is like. It secures the victory and the kingdom is advancing through his ministry. We saw that in the parables in Mark chapter 4. And that's the reality of Christ's ministry. Uh, One theologian said this, Jesus' message is that in his own person and mission, God has invaded human history and has triumphed over evil, even though the final deliverance will occur only at the end of the age. And so that puts you and I in this very unique time. We're living in between. The kingdom is broken in, but it's not fully here. We live in some of the realities now, but we anticipate what's going to happen in the future. And that's the message that Jesus proclaims here. And that's the message that his ministry demonstrates or showcases. I mean, think about all that we've seen in Mark so far. He heals. He shows authority over demons, over nature, over sickness. All of those things show that God's authority, his rule and reign, is coming into the world and pushing back the powers of darkness. And remember, I've told you over and over again that Christ's miracles demonstrate the nature of the kingdom. This is what it's going to be like one day when it's fully here. His miracles demonstrate the nature of the kingdom, and then his death and resurrection actually secure our salvation and make a way of entrance into the kingdom possible through his death. He defeats the powers of sin, of death, and he defeats the devil. He overcomes them. He wins the victory, sort of like the allied forces on the beaches of Normandy. And so all of that happens. He wins the victory over the powers of darkness, triumphs over them. And now you and I are able to enter into the realities of the kingdom. I love this passage in Colossians chapter 1. This is a summary of the gospel. He has delivered us from the domain, the kingdom of darkness, and transferred us this is what happens when you're saved. You get transferred from one kingdom to another, to the kingdom of his beloved Son. He wins the power, the, the victory over the powers of darkness and secures our redemption, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All of that, the victory and the redemption and the salvation, all go together in Christ's work and ministry. So, Jesus. Inaugurates the kingdom he opens the path into the kingdom and as he does that his goal is to bring followers disciples people into the kingdom and that's our second key here so jesus comes his ministry inaugurates the kingdom and as he's doing this it's not some nebulous rule and reign it's a reign through people and in people And so as he's preaching the kingdom, people repent and believe, and they come into the kingdom, and he gathers a group of kingdom followers. One of the things that we will see as we study in Mark over and over again is that the way of discipleship is wrapped up in the ministry of Jesus. His identity and becoming a follower of him go hand in hand. He calls people to repent and believe, and when that happens, he creates a group of people Disciples who are tied to him, and they follow him. And if you think about it, that's always been God's goal, right? He's always wanted and desired a covenant people to enter into relationship with him, to obey him, and to follow him. That was his plan all the way back in Genesis. He was going to take dominion over the earth through men and women, starting with Adam and Eve. They failed at that. And so this is his plan coming in its totality here. And so these followers enter the kingdom by submitting to his rule and reign. And what's interesting in the gospel of Mark, flip over to Mark chapter 6. We'll see this in a few weeks when we get back to Mark. But Jesus brings the kingdom, he inaugurates it, and then he starts to train his disciples and send his disciples out to do the work of The ministry of the kingdom. Look at Mark 6 and verse 7. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. And look what he does. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Look down at verse 12. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. They went out as kingdom followers and had the authority of Christ to, in some ways, enact the kingdom the same way Jesus had done there. And, of course, you're very familiar with the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus tells the disciples that now he has all authority in heaven and earth, and they are to be his witnesses. They're to go out, just like they did in Mark 6, and they're to carry the message of the kingdom arrived and the work of Christ to the nations. They're to proclaim the kingdom and represent the kingdom. And so you get to the end of Christ's earthly ministry there, and this is sort of the moment where the torch is passed. Jesus has been doing the work. He's been training his disciples. He dies on the cross, rises from the dead, ascends to the Father, and then he tells them, now it's, it's your turn. You are to take this message. And in Acts chapter 1, he says, go to Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. He departs. He's he's reigning from heaven over his people. He sends his Holy Spirit to empower them to do this work, to proclaim this message. And as they go, one of the things that they do is they gather into a community and into a group of followers. Acts chapter I didn't put it on there. Just flip over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Let me show you this. What, what happens as, as disciples are gathered after Christ leaves. They're ga- as disciples are made. Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. This is the result. This is what happens. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They're committed to the message of the kingdom, the apostles' teaching. They're committed to the fellowship of other kingdom disciples. And that's what we continue to find throughout the book of Acts and into the epistles. And that's going to be, those are going to be our two last points here. So we transition from Jesus preaching, inaugurating the kingdom, gathering a group of kingdom followers, training them, and then the torch is passed and it's their turn. And now the church proclaims, The message of the kingdom. Flip back to Acts chapter 1. The church picks up the message of Jesus that they had heard from him. And they preach that message. But the great thing is now they have the full story. They have the death and resurrection of Jesus. They're able to see how he fulfills the Old Testament promises and expectations. They're able to see that the message of the kingdom centers on the king. On Jesus Look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And so they wonder if it, you've died, rose again, conquered death. So is this thing going to happen now? Is the full kingdom going to arrive at this moment now? And look how Jesus answers them. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority. You don't need to know, you don't need to worry about exactly when the kingdom is going to arrive in totality. But here's what you need to do. Look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see what they're supposed to proclaim? The message of the kingdom. And they're supposed to center that message on the king. You are to be my witnesses. Talk about what I've talked about and witness to me and my authority and my ministry. And that's exactly what you see if you read through the book of Acts, isn't it? You see over and over again. They preach the message of the kingdom. They proclaim that Jesus is the king. He has arrived. He's the true Davidic king. And you see that all the way through the book of Acts, and then you get to the very end of the book of Acts, flip over there to Acts chapter 28, and talk of the kingdom sort of bookends the entire beginning of the church. Look at Acts 28, verse 30. He lived there. This is talking about Paul in Rome. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. And look what he's doing. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's what the church is supposed to do. The church proclaims the message of the kingdom. We see that very clearly in the book of Acts. And as that happens... As they proclaim that message and the king and his arrival, as they proclaim that, small groups of these kingdom followers form and begin to associate together. That's what we saw in Acts chapter 2. They commit themselves to the apostles' teaching. They commit themselves to fellowship with one another. But this is very natural. It's, it's assumed in the New Testament. You see Paul go and visit all these places in Europe... In Asia Minor. And what happens when Paul preaches the gospel there is people respond, they repent and they believe, and they gather together as kingdom followers into assemblies, ecclesia, into churches. And they gather together. It's natural, it's assumed, it's instinctual for those who believe the message of the kingdom to get together to find others who believe the message of the kingdom to gather into local assemblies and to commit to one another. And to commit to that message. And that's our final key here. The church proclaims the message of the kingdom and the church models the lifestyle of the kingdom. Those are the two sides to what the church does in in her life and ministry. And so we see all those groups forming in the book of Acts. Then the epistles are written to many of those groups that form in the book of Acts. The Thessalonians, the Corinthians... Philippi, all of those different groups, Paul writes back to them. And what does he tell them? He says, keep believing the message of the kingdom. Keep believing the good news, the gospel. And here's the implication. Here are the implications of that for your life. Here's how you, you are supposed to live. And there's a few passages in the epistles that describe believers as citizens of that kingdom. And they say, this is how you are to live, as a kingdom outpost, as a group of followers of this kingdom who've gathered together. Let me show you a couple of these that talk about life in the church. First of all, Ephesians 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That's all that we've seen in the gospels and acts in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. The church right now is where God dwells and reigns through the spirit. That's what we are as the church. Let me show you another one. First Timothy three. I hope to come to you soon, Paul says, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The epistles teach us how to conduct life in this this outpost that we have here called the church. And then the last one, and I think probably the most clear example. Beloved, I urge you. And look how Peter describes Christians as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. As you are this outpost of the kingdom, as you're an exile, a sojourner, you ought to live in a way that's congruent with your gospel proclamation. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So, going all the way back to our four points here, the church, I hope you can see the thread, the church grows out of the kingdom ministry of Jesus. He inaugurates the kingdom. He gathers followers who enter the kingdom. The church picks up that torch and proclaims the gospel of the kingdom and its king. And then the church lives out the lifestyle of the kingdom amongst one another and among those who are around us in our culture and in our world. So the question this morning is, what are we? And I want to try to to give you an illustration and try to answer that in a little more detail that hopefully will clarify this for you if you're a little lost at this point. One of the things that I... I love, I've told you before, um, I go over, I've been overseas a number of times. And one of the things that I love about traveling overseas is uh, the moment when you're coming home. That's always a good thing. But when you come back into the airport and you go up to the customs officer and um, he's standing there and you hand him your passport and he may ask you a couple of questions. And then he stamps your passport or whatever he's going to do. And he says, welcome home. I love that. It's like, yes, this is where I belong. This is where I'm supposed to be. Um, it's, it's always a good feeling for that to happen because you know that when you reenter your home country, you're going to see family and you're going to see friends and you're used to it and it's a culture you know and it's food you know and love and it's all the good things that you've come to enjoy about your home culture. I love that. Now, I know that some of you in this room this morning have experienced what it's like to be forcibly removed from your home culture. And you are, you are an exile. You've been in exile in your life. You've been pushed out. You've been displaced from your homeland. And in some cases were unable to return to your homeland. And so maybe you're used to the United States now, but in some ways it's, it's not quite like home as you remember it. Well, I want you to think of your experience as a Christian this morning as someone who's sort of like a refugee. That's what, it's exactly what Peter calls us. We're exiles. We're refugees. You and I are currently not living in our homeland. And the crazy thing about this is you and I've never actually even been to our homeland. But there's something in your heart and there's something in my heart That dreams about the homeland and hopes in the homeland. And we hear stories about the homeland and we anticipate what it's gonna be like. And so, this local church is a gathering of refugees. We are those who are away from our homeland. We are, quite literally, an outpost of the kingdom. The kingdom is advancing, and here's a little stake in the ground. Right here on West Road, as this group of believers gets together, we are citizens of another country and we live life together in order to help one another to think about the homeland, to keep our eyes focused on the home country. And we live life together in order to not just help ourselves get there, but in order to bring a little bit of the culture of our homeland into the world in which we live now. You see, we're a kingdom outpost, not an embassy. An embassy exists for the home country and only for the home country, but that's not what we are. We're an outpost because we exist to talk about the home country, but then we exist to tell others in the culture that we're in, you can come and be citizens of our homeland. That's what we're here for. We exist to represent the home culture in the world and the culture in which we live. So what do we do? We gather together every week to worship our king of our homeland. And we gather to sing songs of the homeland. And to hear instruction from a book that tells us the story of our king and his advancing kingdom. And we get together during the week in small groups and other gatherings and Bible studies to connect with one another and speak the truth in love to one another So that we can persevere in our journey toward the homeland. And we serve one another in the church and we serve those in the world because the church exists as an outpost for the good of the world. One author described it this way In this world, we are called to live as Christians, we are ambassadors of another land with a different set of customs and laws and even a different language. As we represent this land and its monarch, we must bear the marks of our home. We must live by its customs and speak its language, however foreign they may be at times. That's what we're doing. That's why we call the church a kingdom outpost. And so if that's the nature of the church, if that's one way... And I think a good way, a biblical way to define the church, what does that mean for our relationship to this kingdom outpost here? There's a lot of things we could say, but let me just give you a couple. First of all, if that's really the case, if this is a kingdom outpost, then this local church gathering is absolutely vital for your perseverance in the faith. You can't get by on your own. You can't learn the culture of your homeland and live out the culture of your homeland without a group of kingdom followers. You can't do it. I can't do it. If if we are going to continue to connect our lives to the home country and represent the home country, then we need each other. Absolutely. So that means committing to the local church and being together when we gather as a kingdom outpost. Now, the second thing that I'll say by application that this means for us is we have to think about the primary cultural feature of our homeland. I mean, certain nations are described maybe by a couple words. Their culture, you could say, this is true of German culture, or this is true of American culture, French culture, right? What would we say is true of the culture of heaven? What is a primary or the primary characteristic of the culture of heaven? And this, if we can get to that, that is what you and I ought to live out and to demonstrate and to be to the world in which we're living. What is that primary cultural characteristic? It's love. That is the air of heaven. It's the love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that has existed for all of eternity. God's kingdom is a place where God's love dominates. And it's a place where you and I fully enter the fellowship between the Father and the Son and experience that. And if that's true, then we are responsible... To learn of that culture of love and then to live that culture of love out in the world that we're living in now. We're to be people of love first and foremost. We're to be people who are concerned for others, who have their best interest in mind. For those within the church body and for those outside of the church body. Those we're trying to reach, to tell them about our kingdom, our homeland. So we're citizens of another kingdom, but that doesn't mean that we cloister ourselves away and just try to preserve our kingdom culture by ourselves. The only way to really preserve kingdom culture is to go out into the world, even as the Father sent the Son, and to be a loving people for the good of the world. That is the culture that we are called to enact and to live out. So we have to do good to those around us. We have to love. We have to listen. We have to be gracious and kind. We have to be people of love if we're really going to be citizens of the homeland. And how do we learn what it means to be people of love? I mean, what does that look like? That's so countercultural for the world in which we're living many times. To show genuine concern for the other person. Even if they're different from me. How do we learn that? Well, we learn it from the scriptures. And we learn it from one another. Even as we come together and we mess up and we hurt one another, we learn from Christ what it looks like to practice love on a daily basis. So, what are we? <laughs> what is this thing that we're all doing every week that we are as a group of people living throughout the week together? What is the church? We're, a, we're an outpost of the kingdom of love. That's what we are massive implications for the way we live. So with that in mind, next week we're going to dive into our purpose. What are we to be about? And we'll go into a little more detail on that. But I'm looking forward to it. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you are you are love, you are a God of love, and we're thankful that you sent your son to reach out to us, to come to take the form of a man, to live as a man, to die and rise from the dead. We're so thankful that he was sent for our benefit and our good. And we're so thankful that that is the cultural reality of heaven. It's a place that, that oozes love, that is love. And so I pray that our church body would embody that for the good of our, of our area, for the good of one another, and for the good of the world. Give us the grace to do that. Give us a vision of Christ and his love so that we can do that. We thank you for for our church, for our little outpost here, and for the responsibility that you've given us. We love you. Thank you for your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.